Father, as we come to open Your Word, we do ask that through Your Holy Spirit, You would open our hearts and minds to receive from You this morning those things which Your Word will could assist us in in walking closer to You, stronger with You, more confident in our faith with You. Lord, we come and, and give this time to You, again asking all the distractions to be set aside that we might focus and draw close to You. In Jesus' name, Amen. You may be seated. We're in the last two verses of Matthew chapter 7, and these are the conclusion, the last two verses of, 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 uh, are the, the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount, but also a transition into a very clear picture of what we could call the authority of Jesus and, and how He demonstrates that authority, and we'll be moving ahead into that next series but today, it's kind of a summary or a summing up of, of what has gone on with the, the, the Sermon on the Mount. And it's, and it's just these two verses are amazingly powerful if you think about them. There's a lot here. And it's interesting. Most commentaries, you know, just kind of tack in and say, oh, by the way, you know, you know here's the last two verses. And they don't really emphasize it much. And, and sometimes in their introduction into the next chapter, they'll, they'll put a little emphasis on the authority of Jesus in that transition. But listen carefully as we read this. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at His teaching. For He was teaching them as one who had authority, not as their scribes. The very first thing is that it says, and when Jesus finished these sayings. The idea of finished here is, is again, something paid in full, completed, done, accomplished. It's, a, it's the word we get from 1930 of, of, of the Gospel of John. Uh, and, and one uh, dictionary put it, you know, complete goal achieved. Something was accomplished here, okay? And so we start with that thought. Jesus finished these sayings, and, and so there must have been a beginning to the sayings, and that takes us right back to the very first verses of chapter 5. Uh, seeing the crowds, uh, Jesus went up on the mountain, and when He sat down, His disciples came to Him, and He opened His mouth, and He taught them, saying, and He went right into the Beatitudes. And so, we have a beginning and an end to this particular passage of Scripture. And, and I was thinking, uh, I, one uh, older commentary uh, was, was quoting uh, you know, another commentator going back into the, the uh, Middle Ages, really, uh, and, and the, the idea of Scriptures that you would read as often as you could... <laughs> And one of them was quoting the idea of reading the Sermon on the Mount. And I said, okay, now if I stand up here today and I urge you, read the Sermon on the Mount frequently, somebody's going, you know, will look at that and, and say, wow, you know, chapters 5, 6, 7, 8, that's a lot of reading. So, I, I, I Ted, I timed myself. <laughs> Ted understands that. Uh, and and uh, it took me under 15 minutes to read it out loud. 
Now, I'm a slow reader. I read even when I'm reading to myself as if I were reading out loud, so it makes no difference to me. Some of you would be faster than that. But what I'm getting at is it doesn't take long to get through it. And the importance of getting through it in that way is to keep it in the context of the whole. It has a beginning. It has an end. And as a result, there's something that flows through it, if you will, that's very important. He begins with the Beatitudes. And and what he's talking about is the idea that that you you come to a, a place where you know uh, who you are in Christ. Think about, uh, and I know it's been a while since we, we went over them, um, but, uh, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek. And the idea of, the, of those who are poor in spirit are those who recognize that they are lost sinners. The, 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 the ones who are, are mourning over their sin. And as a result, they're, they're desperately, and, I, and we've got to catch this, we're desperately lost. We have nothing to bring to God. Uh, the, the finishing verses of chapter 5, you've got to be perfect as God is perfect to get it in His presence. We're, we're, we're done in. Uh, you know, we're in that sense of being in the, uh, the, the presence of God, Isaiah says, oh my goodness, am I in trouble? You know, my, my mouth, is, I'm a man of unclean words. I'm, I, you know, whoa. Uh, you know, and, and the, this idea of, of realizing who we are in Christ. Meekly we come to God, humbly we come to God to receive what He has for us. In other words, we surrender to the reality that in our pride, you've got to remember who he's talking to as we get through into this. He starts pointing out the pride of the scribes and the Pharisees, the hypocrisy of what was going on, the idea of gaining your relationship with God by works. And actually, the idea was that they were actually more urgent in their mind to impress those around them than they were as to whether or not they were oppressing God because to their idea was, well, I did this, therefore God's I'm in favor with God. In fact, for many, just the fact that they could say, I'm Jewish, I'm born Jew, was enough to say to themselves, I'm okay with God. That would be like uh, someone being raised in a Christian home and never accepting Christ personally as their Savior and saying, I was born in a Christian home. I think uh, in our Bible study this last week, our home group last week, we talked about that idea of, of secondhand faith. It, it doesn't save you. <laughs> you know, your parents' faith or your grandparents' faith isn't going to save you. It has to be your faith. And so this picture of, of coming to God and humbly receiving what He has. And then there's a transition that goes on. You begin to hunger and thirst after His righteousness. This isn't something that's going to happen until He opens your eyes and your ears and your heart and your mind until you are, are at that point where you are humbled and realize He's the only way. And I have so many different people that I've known in my life. I've mentioned them uh, uh, because we've been going through this section and stuff. Some of them we've discussed, uh, brought up in, in, in our home study uh, that Grant is teaching uh, and, and through the 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 sermon that we're going through and and, and the, the the messages in the Martin Lloyd Jones book that goes with that and uh, 
I will use this particular person that, that I know in the sense of uh, hungering and thirsting after righteousness. This man I met at age, he was 42. Okay? Now, I thought I was an older student at Bible college. I was married, had two children, and, and, and uh, when I met him, and I was in my early, you know, 30s, you know, so I thought, I, I'm, I, in fact, it's one of those things you kind of know that you might be older when you're in a school, when, when a student turns around and says, oh, you're, you're Mr. Hapgood, aren't you? Yeah, and, 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 and my response is, do you babysit? Yeah, <laughs> yeah and, and, uh, but, but Bob, I met at, he was 42. He had been in the ministry for over 15 years. He had his master's in, 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 in theology, his MDiv. And, and he had uh, been preaching uh, probably about nine years. And he, and, and he put it in his own words, he was working his way up in the denomination that he was in. Okay, He was going from level to level to level. And he was at a pretty good point where he was when he got saved. Now, some people just are, are, are amazed. I certainly was you know, at the fact that you could have been in the ministry for, for 15 years, preaching for eight or nine years, working your way up in the ministry, gone to, and, and, and similar to another person that I, that I knew that, had a, that unfortunately didn't come to that conclusion uh, uh, in himself, you know, he could take a, a verb apart and tell you the endings and, and all of the things that go with that. You know, I'm sitting here going through a lexicon and I need my inline, you know, uh, English with the Greek and look up and say, oh, it ends with the, what the, whatever those two letters that make the O sound and then, and, 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 you know, and I fumble my way through it. This guy would just boom, 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 you know, and, and I'm looking at that and I'm thinking, you know, I finally asked him, I said, Bob, why did you, Start here, because where I was was a regular four-year Bible college where you get your bachelor's degree, you know. Uh, and here's this guy; he's already got his master's degree in theology from a prestigious university. And and he says, "I needed to start over at the beginning and get it right." And so. He had to, even though it wasn't this particular passage, he had come to the conclusion where he had never been in that position where he totally depended on Christ for his salvation. He had never actually been in that position where he hungered and thirsted and he realized that I don't know what it is to hunger and thirst. And when that opened up, he all of a sudden said, I've got to know it all over again. I've got to start from the beginning because, oh, what I've missed. And I thought, wow, what an, an impressive statement to make. And, you know, it was uh, that, that, that sense of he finally, as he confessed with his mouth and really believed in his heart from a denomination that was very liberal and thought that, in fact, would take the Sermon on the Mount and say, it's an interesting collection of Jesus' teachings put together. They don't even see it as one with a beginning and an end. They just they, they say, oh, that was just the, the, the license of the author to take a number of teachings and put it together in one place. No, this was an event. 
it had a beginning and an end. And, and, and Jesus says, when you start to, to be humble in me, you will hunger and thirst after me. And that's what happened to Bob. And, uh, and then the, this transition that goes on to changing how you see the world. You want to see the world through God's eyes, hear it through God's ears, and respond with God's hands, in a sense. And so the Beatitudes set up the whole idea of this who is, is, is what we're talking about. And then Jesus goes on to talk about the transition, that there's a, a, a sense of, of, of reality that comes to you and, and you realize that God has put you back into the world. And he says it in, 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 right after the Beatitudes, he, he calls, calls us the salt and the light you know, of, the, of, of the earth. And so, there is a response to what Jesus teaches, what Jesus says. Now, as we go through the Beatitudes, we, we, we saw the, the, the sermon, uh, uh, I mean, the, the excuse me, as we go through the Sermon on the Mount, we see the Beatitudes, the different things that Jesus uh, teaches and stuff, and I'll get back to a, a little bit of that flow in a minute. But the reality was, is, that what this sermon requires, if you will, is a response. He's done teaching, and there's, there's a response. And he's already told you what the response needs to be. And we've had some excellent messages in the last few weeks on the, the last chapter of the Sermon on the Mount talking about uh, you know, the, the building your house on a solid foundation, as an example. There needs to be a response. Everybody is building a house. In fact, you know, I, I, I see it, and maybe I'm, I, I don't understand enough of this to, to relay it correctly, but I look at it. Uh, I've worked with contractors in, in construction a good part of my life. Um, I've seen the building of houses in lots of ways, and I've seen people who, who cut corners and, and, and are, or are satisfied with saying, Oh well, this isn't quite what I uh, wanted it to be, but but I can still sell it, you know. Uh, and, and I've worked with the guys who say, "Gosh, this floor is still a little bit squeaky. What do I do about it?" I know I can come in with a compression gun from underneath and pump glue into those voids, and it will the, will lose the squeak. You know, I mean, he's you know somebody who wants to finish it to the point where it's really really great. But the irony is, is it doesn't matter who you are in the building process. You can all have, we all could have all the same materials in a sense. But if the foundation isn't secure, it doesn't matter what you put on it. And that's what Jesus points out. There's a, there's a guy who reacts to my, responds to my teachings in a positive way, and he builds his house on the what? The rock. And we read in the scripture from, from Samuel last week in the reading. My rock, my fortress, my refuge. Jesus is the rock of, 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 of our salvation. And so what are we building on? We're building on Jesus Christ, the cornerstone, and the teachings of the Word, the prophets and the apostles as the foundation. And so that is, is that picture. And, and are you taking what I say to you and, and taking it seriously and responding to it and building on that, letting that be your foundation? As you do... The worst things that are going to come along in life, he calls it a storm and the rains and the floods. Have, have you watched the news this week? What happens in a flash flood? Tragic situation. 
And we've had seasons of that over the last few years of these horrendous floods. I remember a, 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 what they called a hundred-year flood uh, where I grew up in San Luis Obispo in 1969. And then, and, and what happened was it had been years since there had been any flooding. Uh, and so uh, there was a lot of debris and all the water uh, drainage areas of the, the, the creeks and, and, and stuff like that. We didn't even need a river near us for this to happen. And, and they, as the rain came down, the water went up. <laughs> There's a song about that, isn't there? Uh, I looked at a kid's teacher. <laughs> uh, and, 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 but the, as, as, and what would happen was as the water came up, it would brush, run all this brush together and create little dams. And bigger and bigger as it got along. And, and by the time it got near the San Luis Obispo in the city, they were huge dams breaking and these huge walls of water would move through. And uh, we had the second hundred year flood three years later. Uh, and uh, the, the, the trailer that Kathy and I lived in for two years, uh, this was washed down. I was found away from the trailer uh, court uh, where we had lived for two years. Uh, we fortunately had just sold it. <laughs> uh, you know, but I remember driving my car home. We were fortunate. Our apartment was the second floor. <laughs> the first floors were not faring well. I remember driving my car home from, from school uh, on, on, on actually people's front lawns, basically, because it was the only way home. Uh, and, and so, you know, we, we see how devastating these things. Jesus chose those things. They, were, they understood, especially in the Palestinian area, they understand flash floods. They understand huge walls of water moving all of a sudden. And, and so Jesus used pictures that they would get. The, you know, the, the, the idea of a, of a flood coming is a major catastrophic thing. It can, it can, can destroy in a matter of moments. Life is that way. We, we can casually take the, the, the phrase, here today, gone tomorrow, and, 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 and just kind of say oh, you know, that in a casual way. Or we can look at it seriously and realize that is a very true statement. So Jesus, you know, saying, you know, take what I have shown you here. It's all in this same context from 5 to, to uh, 6 and 7 uh, of, of Matthew. I, I, he opened his mouth and taught, and then he was done teaching. And, he, and, and the conclusion of what he had shared was, there's a couple of things that I want you to be sure you understand. There is a gate, there is a path, and there is a foundation. There's one gate that leads to the single path, that, that is built on the one foundation, if you will, that leads to the home of the one foundation. Uh, and, and my thinking, and, 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 and he says it here, that needs to be the response. So, as he teaches all of this, you know, this foundation, the rock versus the sand, as the calamities of, of, of life and living in a fallen world hit us, and it will hit us in some way or another, uh, we are prepared to, because we're on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Now, it's an interesting thing for me. I was a, I was, I was a young adult, 26, when I, I came to know the Lord. And prior to that, and, and those of you who have heard my testimony before, and, you know, heard this, but it's that idea that, that uh, I viewed... The, 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 the 
devout Christian person uh, as a person who needed a crutch. They needed something to get them through. You see, I came from the idea that you are who you make yourself to be. You get your education, you do the hard work, and you become something. You know, And so the idea of, of resting in Christ was just, to say alien to me, would, would actually be a more accurate picture than you might imagine. Uh, and, and so the, the, that picture and that reality of, 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 of Christian that Jesus is talking about here was, was, was foreign to me. I, I saw it as, as something that people use to get through a world of, 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 uh, of sadness and, and other things at times in life. And my response would have been, uh, phrases that I've heard in, in, in you know, over the years, uh, you know, kind of like cowboy up, get on with it, you know, move ahead, get, you know, whatever, and and get going again. You know, that's that's you know, stuff happens, and you know that that uh, you you've got to get going again. The thing is, is I didn't know I needed Christ. I thought I could do it. And I'll, I will only say that I had a, a my, what I call my uh, life-changing event that hit me. Everybody has a different thing that comes to them where they, that, that realization, I can't fix this by myself. In fact, I don't know how to fix this. I, I, I'm lost. Oh, <laughs> I'm lost. And you, you, all of a sudden, you start looking for something to hang on to. And so today I say, uh, through various circumstances, I don't know how people in this world get by without Christ. I just don't know how they do it. But there was a time in my life where I said, I don't need it. I, and I didn't know I needed it. I thought I could do it. And so, it's that point where God opens your eyes and, and all of a sudden, again, this transition, you start to realize, I can't fix it. I'm one of these people who when somebody's got a problem, I want to find the button that pushes it and makes it all well. I, I, I'm just, that's the way I think. And, and when I can't find it, I'm very frustrated. And, you know, and then I realize, this is, I, I, I can't push, I, I, that's not my department. You know? My, my de- department is to come alongside and show somebody the one who can get you through, the one who has the answers. And uh, not always will we even understand those answers. But anyway, that, that's kind of getting off on the side here. The reality is that tests and storms will come. They will, they will try us. And, and if we're built on the foundation of Jesus Christ, we have something to get us through. And the biggest thing we have is to know that when it comes to the judgment day, and he talks about that in, in, at the end there in chapter 7, we have someone who is going to not say, depart from me. Powerful message when we used those that was last week, I think it was, was the idea of three words, depart from me versus three words, it is finished. Which three words do you want to hear? <laughs> you know, it is finished. <laughs> okay. And the awesome thing is, is that I can, I, I can respond to that right now and rest in that truth and that confidence. It is finished. I am not in fear of those words, depart from me. And it's, it's, a, it's a, because I made a decision. Everybody who's confessed 
Christ and, and, and believe in their heart who Jesus Christ is, 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 is made that decision to rest in the foundation of Jesus Christ and His Word. So, I, as, as we go through this, I'm looking here at, 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 chapter, at chapter 7 and, and, and realizing, okay, these last two verses. Jesus says, I started this with it. I opened my mouth and, you know, and I began to teach. Now I'm finished. <laughs> you know? and, and then what he goes on to show is, is something very important. And it's spoken of here. Uh, because, the, you see, when, when Jesus was, when, when he was done, it says the people were astonished. The crowds were astonished. By the way, that tells me that it was more than the disciples hearing this. That's what some people say. Well, this was, you know, the, the crowd was astonished. The people who had come to listen were astonished. And this word astonished, uh, you know, maybe your translation might say amazed, um, overwhelmed. Uh, you know, uh, I, 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 I've read a couple of, of, of interpretations that use the idea of, uh, as comment, commenting on it, struck with thunder. I thought that was an interesting phrase. Struck with thunder. I, I, you can't be struck with thunder. I, I, you can be struck with lightning. Uh, but uh, I know the results of being uh, struck with lightning, even though it didn't happen to me. It happened to my aunt. And so she, could, she probably was the closest person I can think of that would say struck with thunder because it put her death completely in one ear. The, the thunder was right there. It deafened the whole, her ear. and also created uh, some lesions and different things that ended up giving her Parkinson's disease. You know, and, and so, uh, you know, it, that's a powerful word, a powerful phrase. But I, I, I figured it out by my, by my, I didn't even have to go to the, 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 the Greek on this one after I started putting it together. I said, I got it. <laughs> Blown away. They were blown away. They were overwhelmed. They were amazed at this teaching. Uh, and this idea of astonished, then going to, to, to the dictionaries, it's as one hit with a heavy blow. So it is something, I want you to be sure you understand, the people's response to this was, wow! They were blown away. They were amazed, overwhelmed. And the question is, why? What was it? They've been, they've been sitting around teachers for a long time. They, I mean, these, these, these Jewish people have been raised in the, in the synagogues and, and, and going to the temples and, and, and going to the temple and, and going to the, the feasts and the teachings and all these things that go on around that. They, it's in their homes. It's, 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 they wear it. It's on their gates. It's on their doorposts. It, you know, they, they know it's around them. Why is this all of a sudden that they're blown away? Because it says, not like what happens when the scribes teach. That's my paraphrase, but that's what it means to say when it says, and not as their scribes. In other words, the scribes teach. I've never, I've never experienced this. But Jesus talked, and he, and, 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 he, and, he, and he taught these things, and I'm blown away. I'm amazed. He teaches as one who has the authority to teach. You see, the scribes, while they were looked up to as the, 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 the scholars, you know, it would be going to, to, to Bible college or, or seminary, 
and having the the the, the professor the who has his doctorate plus whatever and and wrote both the books that are in the class <laughs> uh, you know and 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 you know they they were in that category I mean they they were the the teachers the scholars however they still always quoted they never took the position I say they would say Moses said Isaiah said or Paul might, because he sat under a particular teacher, Gamiel said, or our tradition says. But they would never take the position, I say. You see, he spoke with an authority that they hadn't heard before. I, I, I just go back to, again to, to, to chapter 5. Uh, in, in verse uh, 21, he says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whatever uh, whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you. There's a formula here that starts to, to roll off over and over again now. You have heard from who? The scribes. The teachers of the law. But I say, this is what it really means. You said not to murder? I say not to think about it. You say not to, to commit adultery? I say lust is a bad thing. I mean, he just he, he, he clarifies a spiritual heart context for all of these things. He spoke with personal authority. Not like the scribes. And so I was thinking, the authority of Jesus. Just here in the Sermon on the Mount, you see it in various places, just the fact that he used the phrase, I say, was taking authority. Uh, you can go back in chapter 5 again to uh, Christ says, I have come, you know, I didn't come to abolish the law, but I, uh, you know, but to fulfill the law. By the way, just by the very nature of what he's saying, he's saying, I am perfect. Not one of us can raise our hand to that. Not one of them could either. They all knew the Old Testament Scriptures, that there's none worthy. All the sheep have gone astray. Jesus says, basically, I am worthy. We sang that this morning. <laughs> basically. And so I was looking at this and thinking, in the Sermon on the Mount, there's a, alone there's a number of places. I mean, he, he, in chapter 7, he talks about who's, who's doing the judging at the end of... On, and he says very specifically, on that day, in chapter 7, on that day, that's judgment day, a specific time in history that, that is the, the end of history and the beginning of eternity, if you will. And, and he says, on that day. And he basically says, he's the one that's judging. He's declaring that he has the authority right here in the Sermon on the Mount. But that's not the only place we see it. And I, I, I want to make sure that we, we don't turn around and take the Sermon on the Mount and make it something that it's not by the sense of saying it stands alone in some way. The Sermon on the Mount is a reflection of the teaching of Christ enough so that Francis Schaeffer would call it the Christian Manifesto. If you want to understand what a Christian, how it works, here, here's a good picture of it. But he never would have said it stands alone. 
he would say it's a part of the concert of Scripture, the whole of Scripture, which is the Word of God, the inspired Holy Word of God. You know, and, and so, as a whole, we look at this and say, does he have the authority? He says he has the authority. Anybody else agree with him? <laughs> you know, and this is where we get into Ephesians and we see that there, before the foundation of the world there was a plan and Christ was at the center of it. Or we go into Colossians. In fact, let's, let's look in, in, in Colossians chapter, uh, I think it's chapter 1. Yeah. So many people are going... Oh, there it is. The, it's, it's verse 15. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, meaning He has the status of the one who inherits all things. It's, it's, it's all to be His. Okay, For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. By the way, you know, he's of the authority over all authorities. <laughs> okay? All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things. And in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. At the top, sovereign, if you will. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. Meaning that He was the one who covered our sins because we were at war with God, if you will. We were enemies of God. He made peace for us. When we humble ourselves, rest in Him, admit our, that we are poor in spirit, and need His salvation, and mourn over our sin, and we, and we start to hunger and thirst, we realize one of the most awesome things, and, we, and I just discussed it a minute ago indirectly, was we're at peace with God. The words, depart from me, will not be a part of, of Judgment Day for us. Uh, one, you know, Psalm, Psalm chapter, uh, Psalm 2 is a, an amazing psalm. I'm not going to go into it in detail this morning, but it's just one of my favorite pictures of, 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 of kind of a four-act play almost. In the beginning of it, it shows the, the, the world and its leaders con- conferring together and taking counsel with one another. And their conclusion is, we don't want the shackles or the, the hobble, if you will, the thing that, you know, when you have a horse in a pasture and you don't want it to go too far, and it doesn't have a fence, what do you do? You hobble the horse and, and it's a rope around the legs and he can't run. So he won't go very far. You know? And I, at least I hope that, that he won't go very far if you're depending on it. Uh, but anyway, the, the idea is, is that we don't want anything that slows us down. We look at the Word of God as confinement and, and, and restriction and all this kind of stuff. We don't want that. We want the freedom to be our own masters. And so in a sense, they're shaking their fist of God saying, we will have none of you. And the very next set of verses say, God laughs from heaven. And He doesn't laugh because it's a joke. He laughs at it because of, 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 of the ridiculousness of this. And then, and, and, and then He turns around and says, I've already put the king in place. I've already set the plan. 
going back to Ephesians in, in, in chapter 1, before the foundation of the world. A plan was put together. He says, I've already taken care of it. It's already done. And then the son speaks and says, I am the one. And then David finally speaks and says, you better listen <laughs> and, and respond to this. How about John chapter 1? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with was God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and was God. I can't I can't get it right for the second for a moment, huh? And the Word was God, and 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 the idea is that we have this person. He he has the authority to speak. He is God in the flesh. Philippians chapter two tells us very clear. He emptied himself of his majesty, if you will, of, uh, and, and he, it's like he, he, he took off the, the cloak of, 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 of his heavenly position and, and set it aside. And he says he became a man. He became part of his creation. He became a man. And not only did he become a man, but a servant to man. And not only a servant to man, but one who would die on the cross for man and make peace with God. In, in the, the book of Hebrews, chapter 1. Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. That's who they were listening to, you see. Whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Jesus was speaking with that kind of authority. They'd never, no wonder they were blown away. They hadn't heard teaching like this before. And it's an interesting thing, though, as we read on in Scripture, we'll find that there's more than one response to Jesus here. There's the, the, there's the blown away response, and there's the very angry response. The very angry response coming, interestingly enough, from the, 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 the teachers of the law. And the, and the, and the scribes and the Pharisees and the, and the leaders of, 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 the, of the, the faith of the Hebrew people. Because what Jesus was saying was something completely different than what they took the word to be. Jesus was saying it comes from the heart first. You know, you don't do the works and the heart changes. The heart changes and you do the works. He said very clearly, and that made me think of again of, of, of Philippians chapter 2 where it says he emptied himself. In, in chapter 5 uh, of, of Matthew, he says, I have come. He didn't say I was born to do this. or I have come. Like, I've been someplace else, but now I have come. And it wasn't just talking about you know, coming to the Sermon on the Mount that point in place and time. I think it's a full picture of I am come. It wasn't even I have, it's I am come come. Does that ring a bell with you? I am come. I am.
Jesus says in, in the Sermon on the Mount that people will address Him as Lord. Say, Lord, Lord. Give Him the highest recognition. He'll be the judge. I guess in a sense, a summary would be, and I was, I was reflecting on, on some stuff that, that Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote. wrote. He, he actually devoted a, a chapter of his book, the end of, the, of, of his work on the Sermon on the Mount, to these two verses. And, and you know, the, the conclusion is basically, the summary is, is that man can't save himself. And he can't save anyone else. Parents, we can't save our children. We can't save grandparents, our grandchildren. We can't, and you know, all we can do is, in a sense, bring them to where the table is, is, is served. Bring them to the Word of God, to the food, and, and show them about it. But it's, it's their interaction with the Holy Spirit and God working in them and through them to, to bringing them into salvation. You know, we can't save ourselves. We can't save others. We must be born again. And as a result, a transformation. Salt and light. A new direction. One gate. A narrow path. One foundation. And that foundation is Jesus Christ at the cornerstone. The head of the thing that holds the foundation together. And, and that picture of, again, uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And, 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 and then in verse 14 of the same chapter, John chapter 1, it says, And the Word came and dwelt among us. And as a result of the, the fact that we rest in the words, it is finished, we rest in an awesome truth. There is no, and, and, and I'm reading from Romans chapter 8, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. goes on and says we're joint heirs with Him in, 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 in eternity in, 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 in His kingdom. We have eternal life. And I'm not sure that I could say the most awesome part of all of this, but it's it's all a, 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 a together in one part of it, making it, this the awesome picture that it is, where there, where we start with there's no condemnation, he ends, and there's nothing that can separate us from this. Sermon on the Mount is a powerful picture of Christ, His authority what it is to, to come into a relationship with God, to hunger and thirst after righteousness, to build on the foundation of, of the Word of God. Literally, Jesus Christ, the Word of God as the cornerstone and the, the Scripture as the, as the foundation, the prophets and the apostles, and, and, and put it together in such a way that, that He had the authority. And it's like I said, no wonder they were blown away. This no condemnation to be at peace with God is accomplished at one point in time in history by Christ and Christ alone. There is no other way, if you will, the gate idea. You know, 
through one single gate. He says, I am the doorway in. The idea is that we come through the cross of Jesus Christ. Because at the cross, he poured out his blood and as a result, covered our sins. Because you see, he did it perfectly. He fulfilled it all. He is perfection. As a result, He can save us. He has saved us if we rest in His grace and His mercy and His love. And so, I, 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 as we come to communion today, the idea of being able to say, uh, as, as we take it, I rest in the truth. There is no condemnation because I, I'm, I'm paraphrasing this for myself, if you will. There is no condemnation because I rest in Christ Jesus. I'm joined heirs. I have eternal life. And nothing this world has can take that away. Nothing created, it says, can take that away from me. Ask the ushers to come forward. We'll take communion together if you'd hold it until we've all been served. Ask the singers to come, please.
songs to lead into communion because it says so much about it, what we've just talked about is and and the, the the idea of his love and his blood blood flowing mingled together you know and and, and the, the you know the, the the sorrow of and, and and at the same time the love of, of God what happened at the cross but also the, that picture what if I owned the whole world? If I had all of nature. In fact, you could take it further and say, if I had all of the universe and said, is this enough? The answer would be no. You must be perfect as I am perfect. And he who is perfect is the one who came for us. Who died on the cross and in his perfection and his perfect sacrifice made peace with God for us. And he asked that, that we would, as we would come together, and it seemed to be the practice of the church, as often as they would meet together, to break bread together, the communion, and pattern that after that supper that Jesus shared with his disciples on the night he was betrayed, taking the bread and after giving thanks, he broke it and, 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 and gave it to his disciples. And they each had a piece, I, I think maybe at the same time, you know, like we're doing this morning, and he said, this is my body. Therefore, the idea of incarnation, he came and dwelt among us. 
in the flesh. And he said, as often as you share this bread, share it in remembrance of me. The cup of wine that Jesus picked up at that at, at the end of the meal and, and, and saying very clearly, this is to represent my blood poured out to purchase the covenant. The covenant he's referring to is the covenant of grace. It gives us the peace so we can say there is no condemnation. He said, this is done through me. And he asked us as often as we would drink this cup to do it in remembrance of him until he comes again. He's coming back for us. Father, we thank You that we can come to communion this morning and, and that recognition, all that You have done covers all that we could never do. We thank You, Lord, that You have made peace, propitiation, that, that things are taken care of at, the, at, at, at the, 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 the altar in the reference to our judgment through Your blood. That as we confess and, and believe in You, as we change, and as You transfigure us, as we transform us, I guess is the better word, and, and, and create a hunger and thirst, we ask, Lord, that, that, that You would do that in us. That, that we would never grow tired of Your Word, to worship You, to think of You. Lord, that we would turn frequently through the day for a moment to You. Not just once or twice, but often. That we might be reminded that the God of all creation is our Savior. Thank You for Your love, Your mercy, and Your grace. Thank You for the opportunity to share communion together to celebrate what You have done for us. But it also reminds us that, that we need to come to You. And You tell us that if we sin, if we will come to You and confess our sins, You will forgive us of our sins. And that wasn't written to the non-believer. That was for the believer to hear. And, and that's, you know, we, we come to You and ask, Lord, that if whatever is, is not right with You within reference to our lives, that You will not let us rest comfortably with it. And again, we thank You for Your love, Your mercy, Your grace. We ask that You'd go with us. Cause us to be the salt and the light that You need us to be, that You want us to be. In Jesus' name, Amen. Would you stand as we close? And we've got lots of food to share in the back. And so, time to fellowship if you can. And again, Lord bless you. Thank you for being here this morning.